Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Praise be to God. Thanks for coming here, everybody, and joining us for Gospel Saving Church. Another beautiful Sunday morning. We celebrate the uh, beautiful Sunday morning on February 1st, 2015. It's a brand new year. Can you believe already a a month has gone by so far uh, since we just had Christmas? It just seemed like Christmas was just... Just the other day, and you know, here we're a month away. Wow, isn't that something? Wow. Well, anyway, um, praise be to God. He's given us another day to live and another day to serve Him, another day to get to know Him. So uh, praise Him. Be thankful to Him in all things. For He's the giver of all good things. All good things come from above. Um, I'm thankful that the privilege that God's put me up here again. I want to welcome everybody in my house. Welcome to Gospel Aid Church, and welcome to everybody coming on SoundCloud and all over the Internet. Welcome. Gospel Saving Church. I, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46, but if you would pray with me, we're going to open up the service with a word of prayer, and then we'll go over my thoughts from last week, and we'll read our section of scripture. So Lord, we come before you. Lord, we're always before you. Lord, we always say that, Lord, we come before you, but Lord, we're always before you. Lord, we're, You said in your word, we're always before your face. Lord, you, you're always here. Lord, we, we, David said, I could make my bed in hell, or I could I could run to the farthest parts of the earth or I could go to the end of the desert or to the bottom of the ocean, Lord, and you would still be there. So, Lord, we're not coming before you, Lord. You're always, you're always before our face. We just don't recognize you or see you all the time, but you're there. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord God. But you do say in your word that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, Jesus, that you would be there. And so, Lord, there's two or more here, so we're gathered in your name, and so we know that you're here. So we want to welcome you to this place and welcome you. Welcome your presence here among us, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you bless this time together, Lord. Bless your word today, Lord. Teach us, Lord, for there is one teacher, the Christ, Jesus Christ, Lord. You you are our teacher. And Lord, so we thank you, Lord, for teaching us. So I'm going to thank you in advance for teaching us, Lord, because we know in your word that you are a teacher and that that's what your desire And so, Lord, we're going to read your word today, Lord, and we pray that you would help us understand it and help us to see the things that are applicable to our lives, Lord, and help us to see the things and the ways of the people then. And, Lord, just show us whatever you want to show us, Lord, and and just, Lord, reveal truth to us, Lord. We want to get to know you more today. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. We ask that you bless this service, bless this time together, Lord, and may you be glorified and honored by this message and, and by us being here together and listening to it, Lord. We thank you, God, and we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46, and I'll read it after my thoughts from last week. Remember my last week's message? I always do a little short overview called the the message yet last week was the parable of the two sons. So the title of this little overview or recap is God is not pleased with your or my lip service. Remember in our parable last week, we studied two sons. One son, God or the father, came to that son, and he said, son, go into my vineyard and work. And the son said, no. But then afterward, he relented or he repented, and then he went to work for dad or God the father. Then the other one, he came to the son and he said, son, go work in my vineyard. He said, sure, dad. And he went. And then he never did it, okay, giving him lip service. Jesus asked the religious leaders, which son did the will of the father? And they right away, they said, well, it's the son that although he didn't go at first, you know, I mean, God, the father asked him, but he didn't go. But then afterwards, he relented. That's the one that, so that's the one that was in God's will. Religious leaders said that. So that means, now... Here's the point of the overview. If the son who said no, but had a change of heart and went and served God or the Father, was doing the will of God or was in the will of God, then that means that the other son who said yes, but didn't go and serve God the Father in his vineyard, and so didn't repent and gave God or the Father live service, was not in God's will or not doing God's will. Well, the Bible's very clear that 
Nowhere does it say that God is not pleased with you if you're not in his will or doing his will. Simply, that's just, that's it. There, God was pleased with the one that went, and he was was not pleased with the one that gave lip service and didn't go. In fact, talking about God's will, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, so we won't even get to heaven if we aren't in God's will and we're not doing God's will here on earth. You see, don't get scared. The Bible says that people aren't saved by God, by their works, or by doing the works of God, but a saved person is supposed to, and even called by God, to do the works and to do his work and to serve him. And it's found in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. First, by grace you have been saved through faith, that's salvation. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. We can't save ourselves. Not of works, so see, we cannot work to be saved. Not of works, at least anyone should boast. But then he goes on, verse 10, to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, so no salvation by works. But when we are saved, we should be doing things that God told us to do. That's what the Bible says. Hence, that's the second son that was in disobedience and not in God's will, gave God lip service and just didn't serve God at all, but said he would. So, major point, Christians out there, those that really love God, please, please just don't give God lip service. Listen to me. Or no service at all. Get into his word daily. Get into his word, whether you're reading it or whether you're listening to it or whether you're reading and listening to it. And get into his word and find out what God's work is that he has for you to do. And then do it. Remember, God was is not pleased with your lip service today. Okay? If he wasn't pleased with the lip service of the false religious leaders back then, then he's not going to be pleased with our lip service today. So if God says, here's what I want you to do, my son and daughter, then we got to be finding out those things that God says to do, and we have to be going and we have to be doing them. And if you sit there in your seat now and you're a little uncomfortable and you're like, well, but, but it's, oh, you're right, but I, what do I do? Well, take the advice or the example of the first son of last week's parable. What was the example of that first son? He said no at first, but then he what? He relented or repented, or you could say had a change of heart toward his decision. He had a change of heart toward what God or the Father told him to do, and he repented, and he went and did the things that the Father wanted him to start doing. So that's all you have to do. It's not really hard. It's not really a prayerful decision you have to make. You have to make a a, a decision in your mind. Okay, I'm wrong. I'm not doing the works that God wants me to do. I've been lazy. And then repent. Wow, I'm wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. I got to turn around. I got to do what's right. And that's what God wants, just like that first son. So be pleasing to him and find out those things which are God's will and those things, works that God wants you to do, and do them. Simple as that. Praise God. All right, so let's get forward. Let's move it on to this week's message. The, our new title for this week's message is The Parable of the Wicked Vine Dressers. Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. If you want, read along with me, or I'll read them to you, whichever you'd like. Here we go. Matthew 21, verse 33. Jesus says, speaking, Almost every word, well, about 80% or 90% of all we're going to read today is right from Jesus' mouth. That's an important, that's just an interesting thing to note. He says, Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. And when Vigit's time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. 
And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said, now this would be the religious leaders, he's still addressing them, they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably, ooh, that's a harsh punishment, and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season." In their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, say religious leaders, and given to a nation, nation, nation bearing fruits of it. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay their hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took Jesus, or him, as a prophet. So right before the parable, right before we study this parable, just a quick note on last week's parable. There may be some out there to say, that Jesus' words about the two sons was not a parable because Jesus never said in that little blip there that he gives about the two sons, he never says out of his mouth, listen to the parable of the two sons. Well, we can't say that because did you catch what Jesus said right there at first? He says, verse 33, hear another parable speaking and referencing to the parable that he just said. We can't have another parable if the first one wasn't a parable. So, therefore, he did say that was a parable. So just FYI, you know, a lot of people want to take Jesus' words in Scripture and they want to make them all parables, or they want to say, oh, no, they're not parables. And so we need to be careful when we're studying Scripture that we don't take something that's meant to be something that really happened versus something that's a parable. And so you find things like that in Scripture. So just as you're studying, look for those things, just FYI. So today, moving through the parable now, we're studying Jesus' second parable now, because that was one, parable of two sons. Number two, parable of the wicked vine dressers. We're studying the second parable that Jesus gives to the religious leaders or the Pharisees that were there concerning their scornful question to him. Remember it. They asked him a while ago now, when he's in the temple and he's teaching after he had driven out all those making God's house, a house of, house of uh, gain and a house of, you know, selling and buying. He says, by what they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And remember, he goes around, gives them a scornful answer and he says to them, you know, uh, <clears throat> but well, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you tell me where John the Baptist baptism came from. And then they said, well, you know, we don't know. So right after that little exchange that they had, he he gave them the parable of the two sons, and now he's in the parable of the wicked vine dressers. He's still addressing them. Jesus is on a tangent, really, at this point. Remember, we talked about last week, he started in 2128, and he's going to go all the way to 2214, and his answer to them about their scornfulness, about their hard-heartedness. This is the second parable he gives them in regard to their hard-heartedness. Today we're going to read about the unfortunate consequences consequences that he gives to the religious leaders and their decision to reject him and his messenger, John the Baptist. He starts off at first, verse 33, telling them about a certain landowner. Read 33 with me just really quick again, and I'll explain it. Here another parable, he says, There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. So, okay. What is Jesus telling us here? What in the world is he talking about? Who is the landowner? 
what's the vineyard? And really, who are the vine dressers? These are really good questions if you're asking them. If you're like, well, I don't understand, Pastor Ed. I don't, I mean, I've never, you know, I'm not good at reading the Bible. You know, I don't understand what are all, I don't understand what he's talking about here. Well, unfortunately, Jesus did not give us the interpretation to this parable. Okay. Some parables he gave us the interpretation to. Some parables he did not give us the interpretation to. So this one, unfortunately, we don't have the interpretation to what he's saying here. We don't get all the pieces of the pie here. So what do we do if Jesus doesn't give us the interpretation to the parable? Do we just go and just guess? Well, I think that... Uh, you know, uh, here's what I think, you know, um, I believe it's this, or what do we do? Please don't do that. I'm asking you right now, please don't do that. If you start guessing, you end up with dangerous doctrines. That's the way they're born. People don't, they're not biblically centered, they don't understand biblical knowledge, and they don't know how to study the Bible, so they read something out of the Bible, and they twist it and turn it, and before you know it, it has nothing to do with the Bible, and it's just their own spin on things, and that's how dangerous doctrines get born. So what do we do? How do we find out the answer? How do we know what a parable is speaking to us if we don't have the interpretation from Christ? Well, remember... We go to the Bible. We search the Bible out. We seek God's Word in the Word in itself. And we see if there's anywhere else that God shows us what He's saying and what what this parable means if God speaks on that or if Christ speaks on that somewhere else in the Bible. Today, fortunately, we're blessed. We We actually happen to have the interpretation to this parable even though Jesus didn't give it. You say, where? It just so happens that Jesus takes words right from God's mouth to one of his prophets in the Old Testament, or God uses this same imagery talking about the same thing, but where God gives it to his prophet in the Old Testament, he actually tells us what the pieces of this parable mean. So with this other section of scripture, we're actually very blessed. We get to interpret our parable. We get to know exactly every little detail of what Jesus is saying to us here. So who's the landowner? What is the vineyard? The vine dressers? Who are they all? What is it all? We find the answers in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I want you to listen to this. You can turn there, but it'd take you a long time to try to find it. So you can just listen along. Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Listen to God. And this is God speaking here with Isaiah, his man, his prophet, his servant of the Old Testament. He says, verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved, this is Isaiah talking to God now, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Now, you may be thinking, isn't this what we're reading, vineyard? Yes, you'll hear the same wordage, you'll hear the same verbiage, you're going to hear it all. Listen, my well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. This is God speaking now. What more could have been done to my vineyard, God speaking, that I have not done to it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please tell me, and now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and and it shall be burned. I'll break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. I shall not It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain on it. Verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are its pleasant plant. So we see there by this, these words to God's Old Testament prophet, 
we get the answer to who the details are in our parable today. You see, God, he's the landowner. He's the one that took the land. He's the one that planted the vineyard. Who is the vineyard? Well, that would be the Jewish people. The people of Judah, the people of Israel that all came together to make the vines, to to be the fruit of the land. And we understand that by this idea that God gives to us in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. So it's important that we have that context as we go into this parable. But there's one little thing that God left out that he didn't give us in that Isaiah chapter 5 verse. He didn't tell us who the vine dressers were in our in our parable of today. One little piece that he, that he didn't give us. But there are some clues here that I want you to see as we're reading and we keep going on. If you can figure out who the vine dressers are, I'll give you those first two clues. First clue, what is a vine dresser? Well, a vine dresser is a person who's in charge or care of the vineyard. And they take care of the plants. They take care of the plants and they watch the plants growth and they tend the plants and they pick the plants fruit and you know they're they're in charge of you know health you know keeping the plants healthy and keeping them all cleared out and you know everything proper and the second clue so you got to think to yourself who does that to a vineyard who who would do that to a group of people because remember the vineyard itself is are, are, are the jewish people so who would do that to a people group okay second clue Remember here that Jesus is still addressing the religious leaders of his day in this section. So I bet you you'll figure it out who the vine dressers are in this parable as we continue to go. So what does Jesus say about these vine dressers and about this vineyard and about these plants? Verse 34, read it. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. So we've got these servants of God the Father. Again, remember, God is the landowner. So he sends his servants to go to these vine dressers. He wants to gather its fruit. You know, it's harvest time. Every harvest, you know, they're supposed to pick it and they're, they're tending, the, they're, they're tending the, the vineyard and they're picking the fruit. And then when, you know, they, he got these guys, he's paying them. So they get a certain amount. It's kind of like sharecropping. They would get a certain amount of the, you know, the, 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 the grab, the take, and then the landowner or God the Father would get another part of the take. So historically, back to the Old Testament again, who were God's servants? God's servants were the prophets. The prophets of Old Testament, God called them, you're my servants, you're my voice to the people. That's how he spoke to the people, number one way back then, was by the voice of these people that he would speak to personally, okay? So we have these prophets, verse 34, and they're sent by God to these mysterious vine dressers. We haven't yet um, stapled on who they are yet, but so we've got these prophets come from God, and they go to these vine dressers, and they want the fruit of the harvest of the Jews. Well, what would this fruit be? Okay. Well, the vine dressers being is that this is now the vineyard is the children of Israel or the Jewish people. They would have been in charge with their, you know, of all their growth, spiritually, socially, economically, so on and so forth. So in a sense, these prophets came wanting the fruit, which would be really the salvation or the changed hearts of the people, the people really serving God. That's the fruit that God was sending the prophets to go get. That's the partial bit of the fruit that God wanted from the people. Because there's nothing else that God could want from people. He has everything we have. I mean, we're supposed to tithe and give gifts and give offerings, but we those go right to the temple. God really doesn't take those personally. Those go toward his work and service on earth. So God was sending his prophets to the people, to the, to the vine dressers, wanting his portion of what he was due from them. So, what do these mysterious vine dressers do when God sends his prophets to get this fruit? Look at verses 35 and verse 36. Verse 35. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Wow. Again, he sent other servants, so God sent more prophets or more servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. These are 
pretty evil vine dressers, aren't they? I mean, they they want they want Israel, they want the people of the Jewish people all to themselves. They're very greedy. They don't want to share any of their any of the vineyard, any of the plants, any of the fruit with God the Father, which means that they want all the people's worship. They want all the people to look at them. They don't want to give any of the people's worship to God. That would be another clue. Who do you think these people might be? These wicked vine dressers. Because it's no wonder after Jesus tells us here what these vine dressers did, it's no wonder that he calls it the parable, of the, or that it's called the parable of the wicked vine dressers. I mean, they're, they're pretty wicked. So historically, sadly, we read in the Old Testament and in, in, in the Bible, we look at some examples of what Jesus Christ is saying here because we can find in his parable, we find the truth of that all scattered throughout all the Old Testament. I want to show you examples of what these wicked vine dressers did to God's prophets. We've got, first of all, we've got the greatest of all the prophets of God, the prophet Isaiah. He wrote the biggest book of the Bible. He, he ministered for the longest amount of time for God. He was the people call him the great, you know, the great prophet. He was the greatest of prophets of God. And, and what happened to him, you say? Well, sadly, he died by an order given by Manasseh, the king, the wicked king of Israel, who had him sawn in two as he was hiding in a cedar tree. And so the king gave order because of Isaiah's prophecies by God against the kings, against the people, that they were living in wickedness. And so King Manasseh, a very wicked king of Israel, had him sawn in two and had him murdered. Okay, next, next to the greatest prophets would be Jeremiah, this poor guy. Poor Jeremiah, he probably suffered more than any Old Testament prophet in all the Old Testament. This is just one way that he was treated. He, he was thrown in a pit, he was mocked, he was slapped, he was, you know, they, they, these, the people, the, the, the wicked vine dressers treated him terribly. But this is just one account of what one of the wicked vine dressers did to him. Jeremiah, the next of the great prophets, was treated terribly and often. One time, this fellow named Pashur, a priest who was also a chief governor in the house of the Lord, another leader of Israel, specifically a religious leader, heard that Jeremiah prophesied, and he, stuck, he struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which is by the house of the Lord. So yeah, the next day, he got let out, but nevertheless, this is happening to Jeremiah all the time. He was constantly being you know, beaten up and dumped in a dungeon and persecuted and he had to flee for his life and he couldn't show up near the house of the Lord because the kings wanted to kill him. And so Jeremiah, this is another one. Remember Jesus said here in 36 or 7, well, some of these wicked, these wicked vine dressers, some of them, they, they took the servants and some they beat, some they killed, some they, you know, did this to, some they did that to. So here's Jeremiah, an example of one of the prophets of the Old Testament that these wicked vine dressers, you know, were persecuting. We have here Urijah, the prophet of the Lord, the son of Shemaiah, who was killed by the sword by King Jehoiakim after prophesying of God's judgment upon the Jews for their rebellion and sin. We have the next one. We have Elijah, the prophet, the prophet who was persecuted by Ahab and Jezebel for his prophecies against Israel for their sin and also persecuted by the pagan religious people. Okay, We have poor Elijah. Then the, the uh, last one, Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel, right in the beginning book of Ezekiel, God's calling him. He says, I got to make your face strong against them because they're a hard-hearted people. They have a strong face and I'm going to send you to them, but they're not going to listen to you. So Ezekiel, the prophet, was neither accepted nor listened to by the Jews as a whole, whether religious leaders or, or the kings or whatever. Ezekiel, another poor prophet that was, you know, scorned and, and you know, verbally attacked and so on and so forth and he wasn't accepted and so on and so forth so last one just for time's sake so i I bet you can get the picture by now those that persecuted god's servants were leaders of the jews both religious and both of the kings all the the kings and many religious leaders persecuted god's prophet and aren't those type of people, if you think to yourself, aren't those types of people, even today, the ones that act like vine dressers or caretakers of the people spiritually and judicially for our spiritual and social or economic growth? They absolutely are. Our president, our leaders of our countries, our leaders in our churches, our pastors, and so on and so forth, aren't those the people that tend us? 
They take care of us. They help us economically. They make sure that, you know, we got jobs and, and, you know, the religious leaders are supposed to teach us right so that, you know, we learn spiritually and we grow in God. So you see that the wicked vine dressers, of course, they all weren't wicked. These wicked vine dressers were both religious spiritual leaders and the social leaders, the kings, the leaders of the nations. These are the people that Jesus is talking about. So I I bet you figured that out, though, before I ever said anything. So that's whom he's discussing so far. But, oh, he's not just talking about those in the past, you see. He's also talking about present day, and we see that in what he says next. Read verses 37 through 39. Then last of all, he sent his son. So this would be God, the landowner, sending his son to these wicked religious leaders and these wicked kings, okay, to them saying, they will respect my son. This is what God's saying in himself. They'll respect my son. They're, I'll send my son to get my, you know, my portion of what, what's due me and, and they'll, they'll give it to my son. They'll respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What is that a description of? Who is Jesus describing? Well, of course, he's speaking of the religious leaders of his day that although they don't know it yet, but they're going to do that same exact thing to him. Remember, they go and they send for him and they get him and they take him by, and they take him and they bring him in and then they question him and then what's the end? They end up giving him to Pilate who has him flogged, who then takes him out of the city and then has him killed. So, he's describing exactly what the religious leaders of his day are going to do to him because he's the son, God being his father, and he's the one that these religious leaders do this to. And really, he's aiming this whole parable directly towards these religious leaders of his very day because if you think about it, he can't be speaking about modern day kings of Israel or a king of Israel because there was no modern day king of Israel, a Jewish They had a pagan king at the time, but they had no king, no one that came from David's lineage that sat on the throne during Jesus' day. Jesus would have been him, but he certainly wasn't on the throne of Israel at the time. Now, really interestingly enough here, sadly, these guys don't really realize, these religious leaders don't really realize that Jesus just gave that parable towards them or against them, yet, for some reason, but I, I think I know why. And so Jesus uses their ignorance here to his advantage, and he asks them a question. Look at verses 40 and 41. Therefore, when the owner of that vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a real neat kind of slip-in question. Hey, I told you what's happened. This is just an account, a story of you know some things, but they hadn't realized it was stuff that really happened. He was giving them a picture of the real history of Israel, okay? So he asked them, what's this, what's this, you know, landowner going to do to these vine dressers when he comes? And then so they answer, not knowing it's about them. Listen to their answer. They said to them, he will destroy those wicked men miserably, not realizing that it's them and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. Of course, that's what any vine, that's what any landowner or any vineyard owner would do. He gives his vineyard to these people. He sends his servants. He sends his son to go gather the fruit. And guess what? They don't, and they kill all these people. Of course, the vineyard owner, the landowner is going to send, and they're gonna, he's going to have them all wiped out, and he's going to destroy them. But he actually gets them, if you caught that just now, He actually gets these wicked religious leaders 
to testify against themselves and even slam themselves without knowing it for their wicked acts and behaviors and words toward him and John the Baptist. Okay, Remember, this parable is in response to their scornful question and their scornful answer to Jesus. But wasn't he clever? I think Jesus was very clever there. He, he kind of snuck that question in and he got them to testify against themselves without even knowing that it was against them. I, I think it's clever what he did because he, he doesn't leave them in the dark though for very long with what he says next. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? Let's just... That's almost disrespectful in them themselves because these religious leaders would have known the scriptures back and forth. From back to front, front to back, you know, backwards to forwards, forwards to backwards, these guys knew the scriptures. And he says, but have you never read the scriptures? He says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting to them as he starts to lower the boom on them and bring them into the idea that, hey guys, you're the ones that I'm giving this parable against. Okay, he quotes to them Psalm 118, 22-23, which is a prophetic scripture of the Messiah or of Jesus and what would happen to him when he came. Okay, we have other parallel scriptures that parallel this Psalm 118. We have Isaiah 53, 3. Remember, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised and we did not esteem him. And then down to 7, 53, 7, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears the silence, so he opened not his mouth. A very parallel to 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So we see here that he was a rejected man. Isaiah tells us he was a man of many sorrows. We have parallel scripture there. It says this is what Jesus was going to do. So, so here he is. He's starting to lower the boom on them. He's starting to share with them that, hey guys, this parable is against you. But they don't quite realize it just yet. He finishes off his boom with verse 43. Read it. Therefore, I say to you, now, now he's getting specific. Therefore, I say to you, religious leaders, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. What does he do? He gives them the unfortunate consequences of their rejection of him. You see, the religious leaders and all those that rejected him in Israel and even up to the, you know, who were sitting on the throne of Israel, nobody accepted him except for a lot of the common and the poor people and the people that needed help and the people that weren't, you know, in like kind of like desperate straits. A lot of those people did. Very few actual religious leaders, very few people of prominence actually accepted Christ and his message because they had a lot to lose. See? God, remember, wanted his fruit from his vineyard. The leaders wanted the people's worship. The leaders and the religious leaders and even the king wanted the people for themselves. Christ came and said, you guys haven't been given God his due. You've been taking all the people's worship for yourself. You've been keeping all the people's attention to you. And instead of pointing them to God, you point them to you because, oh, look, you're so holy, so on and so forth. So he tells them here, I say to you the unfortunate consequence. Listen to what he says. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. God's going to rip the nation of Israel. God's going to rip even the kingdom of God from you. You guys are losing your salvation. You guys are walking away from God because you're not giving God his due. You're not bringing the people to him. You're bringing the people to you. He goes on to tell them about the prophetic stone in verse 44. Tells them a little bit about this stone. The consequence goes further. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, he tells them. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And if you're thinking, what could this mean? 
You know, I alluded to it already, but there's actually other scripture that parallel what he says here. Remember what he said in Matthew 16, 25. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what does that mean? Number one, whoever comes to me and surrenders and submits to me will be saved. Since here, the context is the kingdom of God. We know this just is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual heaven, God for everything. 1625, whoever desires to save his life or save his eternal life or be saved for eternity must lose his life. It's the picture of falling on this prophetic stone and letting this prophetic stone being crushed on this prophetic stone, being a worship to the stone, falling down on the stone, letting the stone, okay, letting the stone, you know, being your foundation on the rock. You know, it's the same picture there. The other picture here, he goes on to say, but whoever the stone falls upon will be crushed to pieces. Uh, The second thing there, uh, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Whoever does, whoever denies me, he says, will be destroyed. And since the context is the kingdom of God again, he's not talking about death of the flesh here. He's talking about eternal destruction. See, if the stone falls on you, because you're not falling on the stone, the stone's going to crush you and it's going to destroy you, exactly as Jesus said here in verse 44. Do they get his points? Do they realize it all? Do they ever come out of the dark here? Do they ever realize, wow, this is, this is against us? Look at verse 45. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived, they understood finally that he was speaking to them. And now, no questions asked. Absolutely, they got it, man. Wow, he's talking about us here. Oh, and what happens? What, 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 what happens because they realize that he's talking to them? See, he got his message in first. He got the truth in first. And then he lowers the boom. Then they realize, and the result of realizing that he was speaking that parable against them, first part of 46, but when they sought to lay hands on him, when they sought to lay hands on him, what does that mean? That means they wanted to take him, and that means they wanted to kill him. They hated him for what he just said about them. They realized that that parable was directly pointed at them, and instead of repenting, they got angry. But could they do anything about it? Rest of verse 46. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they second part, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So they absolutely weren't. You see, the people loved Christ. Christ gave to the people. The people came to him. They were in need. They were sick. They needed food. And what did Jesus do? He says, give to all those who ask of you. Okay, Matthew 5, Luke 6. Give to all those who ask of you. So he gave the people. He gave, he helped the people. The people loved him. The people heard him. The people were humble and not prideful like the religious leaders. And the people that were humble received him. So they took him for a prophet. So the religious leaders here were scared that he was going to, you know, that the people would have stoned them or attacked them if they would have even tried to lay a hand on Jesus. But I love Jesus's method. And anybody that's a really uh, an evangelist out here or, or out there winning souls or trying to win souls for Christ, listen to the way Jesus did it here, okay? This is a little extra excerpt here. He, he got in the truth by a little picturesque story before they realized that it was them. And then, so they got the truth. The seeds were planted. You cannot just walk up to people and say, hey man, what's going on? Oh, do you know Jesus? Oh, no, Jesus, you're going to hell. That is not the way you evangelize. That is not the way you talk to people about Christ. That's not the way Jesus did it. Jesus gave them parables, helped them see the way that they were being. He gave them picturesque ideas of how they were. And then, after they got it, then after they got the message, he lowered the boom. Hey guys, this is of you. 
I'm telling you this parable. I'm telling you this story because this is how you are. And Jesus does this. God does this all through. Jesus and God do this. Excuse me. They do this all throughout the Bible. From the beginning to the end, God and Jesus all did this with people to help them see. Back to our scripture today. How sad is it? How sad is it that after these religious leaders realized that Jesus was directly talking about them with his parable, that they didn't repent and turn to him and turn to God and submit their lives to God, but yet instead they got angry. He didn't speak anything that wasn't true. They realized at the very end there that the the people, the leaders of the people had done that to God's servants. You see, because in Jesus' day, they would have had the Tanakh. They would have had the Old Testament. So they would have been able to see all the old prophets that were stoned or that were killed or that were persecuted by the people. And they knew all those prophetic books very, 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 very well. So they understood that Jesus' point was God's real servants have been persecuted by the fakes, the religious leader fakes, and the kings that were fakes all throughout history. And now they were persecuting him who was really from God and that they were doing that to him now. Interesting note that all the real servants of God have all faced heavy persecution from those that claim themselves to be from God. Very interesting note there that really speaks to me there so instead you know they had all the proof they had all the proof to show that you know god had given them all the proof jesus had given them all the proof by his signs by his wonders by his miracles by his prophecies that he was fulfilling that he was the one that was sent from god and what did they do with it all remember what the vine dressers did the wicked vine dressers The reason they didn't want to give up is because they wanted all the attention of the people. They wanted all the worship of the people, and they didn't want to give that worship to God. They didn't want to point the people to God. They wanted that worship for themselves. And hence is the biggest reason why they never repented, why they never turned to Christ, is because they didn't want Him as God to take the people away from them because They were not leading the people the way God wanted them to lead the people. So sadly, instead, when Jesus brings this to their attention, time and time after time after time again, they didn't repent. They never repented in Scripture, and they ended up killing him in the very end. Even though they had Pilate do it, they're the ones that got him. They're the ones that brought him before Pilate, and they're the ones that were the instigators in the murdering of Christ. So sad. So sad that that, and it's still happening today. Fake religious people, false religious people are still persecuting God's real servants even to this very day. But for our close today, for our close today, we can't only, only look at the people that we just looked at. I'm, I'm big on that. We can look at those people and then we can read that, but then we can't just say, oh, wow, look at those Pharisees. Oh, wow, look at those people there. Oh, wow, look at those people there. We can't just look at them without looking at ourselves today in light of how they were, in light of the mistakes they made. Are we, you know, in a sense, making the same mistakes ourselves? I started off my sermon talking about how God is not pleased with lip service and how he expects his children to be doing the works he has us to do for him. Well, did you know, really, Scripture says the biggest work that God wants from you, the biggest fruit that God wants from anybody is repentance. A heart change toward your sin and who God is. This is what repentance is. It's not an actual stopping of anything. Repentance is a a mind change. I see that I'm wrong and God is right. And hence, when you see God is right and you're wrong, that will lead you then to, well, since he's right, I better do it his way and stop doing it my way. So as we live a daily life of repentance, that's just where it begins because there's actual works, as we read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that God has for us to do. What are the other works that God is looking for from our lives, people? We have to look at ourselves today. We find the answer in an illustration that Jesus gave in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. 
Or we even get to stay focused on the prophetic stone that we read about in Scripture today. The stone which the builders or the religious leaders rejected. Matthew 7, 24-27. Look at the works here. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus speaking now, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built this house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Okay, remember, the one that comes and is broken on the rock is good. The one that was crushed under the rock, not so good. Now, verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine, and remember, we're talking about things and works that God has for mankind to do, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So today, I want to ask us a couple questions as I close. A couple huge questions, eternal questions. Number one, it's like I just said, the biggest work, the biggest fruit that God's looking for from your life. Are you living a daily life of repentance? Are you living like you believe in Jesus Christ? Remember, are you living in a repentant way? Do you live in a daily way where your hearts change toward God and your sin? Is God right and are you wrong and are you living that way on a daily basis? And so hence, living like you actually believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And if he's your Lord, then what he said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that's the second part. Are you seeking Jesus Christ in his word and finding out the ways in which he wants you to live and the things that he wants you to do and are you doing them and are you following him? That's the biggest thing. Are you doing them? And are you following them? You can't do those things unless you've repented first and unless you're living a repentant life. You can't even begin then to do the things that Jesus said to do because your heart's not even open to them because, well, God's wrong and you're right. So if you answered no to either one of these questions, you know, I'm not living a life of repentance. No, you know, I'm not really following Jesus because I'm living a life of repentance. I just, you know, do whatever I want to do and I live my life, you know, however I want to live my life. Then the Bible says that you're not living in God's will or for Christ, but you're living against them. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me and who is not gathered with me scatters abroad. And what did Jesus say today? Whoever falls on the stone will be broken. That's the good broken. That's the broken, the salvation broken. Falling on the stone. Falling on Christ. Having Him as your rock. Having Him as your foundation. Or in other words, whoever loses life for His sake will gain His eternal life. Are you losing your life daily in Christ? Or do you just live as if you have no regard for God. If you've not surrendered or submitted your life to Christ today, and this has to be a daily thing that we do, not just, oh, I prayed a prayer, and you know, one time, a long time ago, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me, and so therefore I was saved. No, that's not salvation. Salvation is living a daily life of repentance toward God, toward your sin. Change a heart toward God. He's right, I'm wrong, man, I'm a sinner. And then, Living life like he told you to live. Doing the things which Jesus told you to do. And this is salvation. Today, if this is not you, today is the day, by the way, that God has brought you here so that you can listen to this message. He's made you tune your radio or your computer into this message so that you could hear this message and so that you could take that step And you could repent. Hebrews 3.15, God says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't say in your hearts, oh, I'm okay, I'm a good person, oh, God loves me, so I'm just going to go to heaven because of that. Because the Bible's very clear. 
Without repentance, there's no salvation. And without that repentant walk every day, and then unto doing the things, not that you are doing them to be saved, but they should be naturally coming out of you, doing the things that God told you to do, then salvation will be kept from you because your heart is hard. You're not listening to God's voice. You've hardened your hearts. God is wrong in your eyes and you're right and you're not turning to him. You're living for yourselves. So I ask you today, if that's you, and God's tuned you into this message so that you could hear and you could listen, then turn to him today. For his love for you is deeper than any ocean. His love for you is deeper than the heights of space. They're bigger than the world. He loves you so much, obviously. We talked about it before. He, all the time, he gave his life for you. He laid down his life for you on the cross so that you could have eternal life with him forever. God's reaching out to you today. The answer is, the question is, will you respond in repentance and unto following Christ? There's an old song, an old hymn, the cross before me, the world behind me. When we take a step and we step toward the cross, that means we leave the things of the world behind. When we take a step of repentance, we turn toward the cross and we leave the world behind. We start going towards God and then things that he told us to do, we're just going to start doing those things that he told us to do. Remember what Jesus said in verse 44 today. Just keep these words in your mind. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. The one who doesn't turn to Christ and comes to Christ and is broken before him will get crushed by him in everlasting destruction forever. Not because God wants that for you, but because you refuse to repent and turn to him. And so your sin will be ever before God's face. And God has to punish your sin. And today may be your last chance to do that. Today could be your last day on earth. And then maybe tonight or maybe tomorrow you die and then you'll stand before God. And if you haven't repented and you haven't put your life in God's hands and you aren't living for him as a result of that, then you're in danger. And when you get before God, he'll judge you. And because of your decisions, he'll send you to hell or you'll be ground to powder because you were never broken on the stone, on the rock of Christ. So please, if you realize you're not there, get home alone. Whatever you do, first priority, top priority, nothing else matters. Get alone, fall on your face before God and cry out to him and tell him you're sorry and surrender your life to him and then ask him, God, now what can I do? I love you. Now I want to love you. Now I want to serve you. Lord, please help me and save me. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your words today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your words to these religious leaders. That, Lord, they even had these words they could have repented too. But they didn't. At least they're in Scripture. They got mad at you and wanted to lay hands on you and wanted to kill you. Lord, that is not the right response. The right response, Lord, that you're looking for is repentance. Turn to God after you hear the truth. After the, if the truth is striking you right now, if, Lord, if you're striking people with the truth, I pray instead of wanting to, to reach out and kill me or, or hating you even more, Lord, I pray that they'd turn to you and surrender to you, Lord God, and stop getting mad at you or mad at me, but Lord, surrender to you and turn to you and be saved. And then live for you and do the things you told them to do. Because, Lord, just like the religious leaders, they could have done that too, but they chose not. Lord, I pray those listening, Lord, if they're not living for you, if, they've not, if they're not living a daily life of repentance, heart change towards you, living like they believe in Jesus Christ, then I pray, Lord God, that you turn them that way now. And they'd surrender today, right now, and fall on that stone and be broken on you, and be changed, and become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Lord, please draw them to Christ today. Anyone that's listening that's not yours. And I ask these things and pray all these things, God, in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.